0: Welcome to the Fraudian Slip, the Identity Theft Resource Center's podcast where we talk about all things identity compromise, crime, and fraud that impact people and businesses. I'm Timothy Walden, and thanks for joining us today. This month's episode takes us to the recent policy forum in Washington, D.C., hosted by the ITRC, the Better Identity Coalition, and the FIDO Alliance. The latter two groups are dedicated to improving identity protection and verification. In this session, a group of identity experts discuss why we need to move more aggressively to using biometric tools and digital credentials to help reduce the value of stolen identity data. The panel discussed both the benefits and challenges of doing so. The moderator was Jay Meyer of Facetech, a biometric solution company, biometric experts Dr. Stephanie Shuckers and Arun Vimmeri, John Brault of the National Consumers League, and the ITRC's very own COO, James E. Lee roll the tape
1: ah excellent great i was wondering if i needed to introduce everybody but apparently i don't so that's great um we're gonna on the heels of itrc's release of their uh, identity breach report and the new biometric working group uh, recommendation advocating for consumer protections for once and how biometrics can support uh, stronger identity assurance for everyday people in the united states uh, we have this great board uh to talk uh, answer a few questions about how biometrics can play a role in devaluing stolen identity data and stephanie uh came up with a great question <laughs> what exactly is what do we mean by devaluing identity data and why is this important stephanie
2: uh, great. Uh, can you hear me? Am I on?
1: I can not, hear you. Not
2: yet. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Gotcha. Good. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, well, thank you very much uh, for hosting and for this this great day. Um, so I think the backdrop of the last two speakers really says it all. You know, what is it we're trying to do? Where is what is the attack vector? The attack vector is textual information about you your uh, uh, bi- uh biographical information your name your address other information about you and a lot of what we do when we're doing identity verification is we're checking that information in various means we're pulling that information in in various means from the data breach point of view that is the major attack factor for the data breaches is that information that can be coalesced from multiple sources, you know, either through the stolen data through the dark web through even legitimate sources of data um, and put together to create a profile for an individual, and I was just about to text my uh, three. Um, you know young young adult uh, children to uh, freeze their identity every time I come to this workshop I did I froze mine last year um, after this workshop and uh, and I need to remind them to, to do theirs um, and so. Why is this, you know, such an attack vector because anybody can gather that information and type it into the boxes right that can be done by a person that can be done by a bot um, and so where's biometrics in this, you know, because I think the common question that you get is, well, that's just another data point, right? You know, like your name, like these other things. And I think it is not the same. It's fundamentally different from um, these textual pieces of information because you're involving sensors, right? You're involving AI, right? You know, you're adding additional um, kind of layers of security that make it much more difficult for the attackers to use that data, even if they steal it. And so what is that? What am I talking about? And those of you who know me, know I've been talking about it for 20 plus years um, is uh, biometrics. Everyone understands there's a matching piece, right? You're matching against some reference. But the second step is, is generally been called liveness, right? So what is liveness? It's taking extra measurements, putting in extra features, including potentially challenge response features to create some, you know, liveness to the session that then makes it much more difficult for the attackers to bypass. And so I think there was a recent breach that I was reading about, and what was the breach? Well, causing it to fall back to PIN because they couldn't break the biometrics, right? You know, so um, uh, the the liveness piece not only helps with things like photo fraud, right, taking a photo of an individual, but also what we call injection. And I think the last question was really related to the generative AI. You know, you may say, well, wait, there's generative AI that makes live things. Well, again. It isn't um, a panacea because those things need to be injection, and we can create live uh, interactions between a real user that makes it very difficult to even create a deep fake. So that was a long answer, but I hope that I've kind of you know give you an idea of where biometrics uh, plays a role.
1: Oh, thank you very much. You know I think it's interesting to uh, note. In fact, I read an article very recently that talked about the wave of of data breaches over the past 10 years or so and how they characterize that wave as the capture phase of a crime wave right capturing the important data and now we are entering the harvest phase of this crime wave and you can see it show up in the statistics you know but i'm not exactly clear how uh biometrics will play a role in making sure that this is the person who they claim to be arun you're doing a lot of work and some pretty incredible work at the department of homeland security how do you see biometrics helping verify and identify and authenticate people as they present themselves
3: sure Uh, so first of all thanks a lot jay and thanks for the organizers for putting together such a great organization uh, great meeting. um before i start i actually probably should make a caveat i'm here as a Private citizen not representing Department of Homeland Security because I'm serving in a role as an advisor to the ITRC. So for ethical reasons, I just need to be clear that anything I say is not on behalf of Department of Homeland Security. It's just my expertise that I've built up in the area of biometrics. Um, yeah, why, why, why does biometrics provide value, right? To try to, it's hard, it's a hard act to follow, Stephanie, but I'll I'll try to say a couple of things about that and liveness. Um, as Stephanie mentioned, the data we have that we use a lot of times to allow people to apply or to go through vetting and proofing processes. It's textual information it's information about an individual, however, none of that necessarily ties back to corporeal person right like I used to watch Star Trek next generation I used to love the world word corporeal. But it means like the <laughs> physical body of a person there's nothing that binds that information back to a human, living human being somewhere, except for biometrics. And the value that biometrics comes into play is it's used in the vetting and the proofing process, and it can subsequently been used in, re, in in authentication or verification processes downstream to make sure that it's still the same person who has it right. I'm Arun Vimori and I have this badge, but if I hand this information to, to Stephanie and she goes around with the badge somebody might actually think she's Arun room Right, we don't necessarily tie back to that original identity proofing process, but biometrics allows you to do that. All right i think it's really funny that we there's so much stuff in the media i saw some movies on netflix where people are printing and making their own identity documents committing fraud at scale and they're just swapping out the photo All right we have a, a human brain here that does a lot of facial recognition right i did it just now and i realized oh there are people i know here i should probably put in that disclaimer so that they don't confuse what i say as a position of the department but we use that with with the physical ids I think the challenge though is it's one thing when the biometric process has happened by a trusted entity and you know and, and you trust that person or that or that method by which you you make that decision like yeah this looks like the same person but now with the with basically how technology has changed over time people are doing things remotely through their computer through their smartphone and asserting their identity and we like using selfies because we do it all the time right uh, even if we're not doing identity proofing people are doing a lot of selfies and this is where face um, you know liveness detection and presentation attack detection comes into play to make sure that it really is that person, otherwise, you can go find photos of me online. You can submit that for an identity verification process, maybe it'll work, maybe it won't. It depends on the, pro- the protections that the organization has put in place so so hopefully that clarifies like why why biometrics is valuable. And and I think why liveness and presentation attack detection is valuable to make sure that it's still that same person, and it's not just a replay attack, because otherwise if we don't have the liveness component, for example, it's no different than using facial recognition, as you would like typing in a name, because our data, unfortunately, is everywhere.
1: Thank you very much. You know um, there's a. Big difference between matching someone's face to uh, an identity and verifying who they are when they're standing right in front of you. In fact, people aren't very good at it, unless it's like their mother, you know, we all know our mother's face and our mother's voice right. But people aren't very good at that, but when you talk about the Internet and this distributed unsupervised environment, there is almost no way to know who is claiming an identity online and so part of the point of all of this is to promote biometrics as as the only authenticator that's derived from an actual physical human being right so you know we're kind of at this epiphany phase we're starting to roll out these systems and doing a lot more research about it. You know, there's a lot of debate out in society today. Are biometrics bad? Is the government following us? Are they biased? Are you know, there are some issues with it. And I like to think that this is showing that biometrics are now entering the mainstream because we're framing proper and ethical use, right? But, you know, James, what do you think happens if we don't implement biometrics? What are the implica- implications of doing nothing at this point?
4: First of all, I to say um, whatever they said, I agree. (laughs) Um, The smart guys. Uh, Well, you know, it's uh, an old boss of mine. uh, Some of you in this room may know him, Dennis Thomas. uh, He always said, I can't tell you what will happen if we do something. I will only tell you what can happen if we don't. And if we don't do anything, we're going to get exactly what we're getting, but we're going to get more of it over time. And if we like what we're getting today, then don't do anything if you don't like what we're doing today we have to find a different way of verifying uh, individuals identities using liveness and and biometrics and all the other things that we know that can be beneficial but if we keep going down the path that we're just relying on on data data that's been compromised time and time and time again and will continue to be compromised time and time and time again we're going to have more and more identity crimes it's just it's it's no more complicated than that Now that's not to say that data isn't valuable, it is a important component, but it is just that it is a component. And we have to adjust our system systems to be able to use what we have and add to it, the value of the the biometrics and the biometric process is necessary to to validate that actual new piece of information so Jeremy says all the time going from something you have to something you are something that is about you that is unique to you and that will help uh what is the concept of this is devalue stolen data if there's that one other element out there now that can negate your ability to use my data that's going to reduce the value of it and the bad guys will move on they'll find something else that's fantastic anybody else want to take a shot at that one
1: no not yet i would just say you know to, to plus
5: one number one what james and my, my other colleagues here on the, on the panel have said i mean the what's the old saying the definition of insanity is doing the same thing mm-hmm. over and over again and fitting a different result. uh and i think you know we'll, we'll get this thing a little bit later but at least from my point of view as an advocate and somebody who cares a lot about uh privacy uh and also data security um i recognize that this is that we can't keep doing the same thing uh and so you know I am looking for new solutions to address this because the harm is real and continuing to hope that this will be solved without doing something new is one that will just result in even more consumers being harmed
1: yeah I'd agree with that and lord knows we've been seeing these data breaches for years decades right Mm -hmm. and it seems like not much of what's been deployed has worked very well in the past so maybe maybe it's time to start introducing some new concepts but that again raises the opportunity for fear-mongering it raises the opportunity to try and construct a proper framework with which to use technology that can scare some people and you know the political class have opinions about a lot of things that some of them are informed and some of them aren't um, but there's a lot of opportunities to to be nervous about biometrics so so john you know what are some of the unintended consequences that we need to protect against as we deploy biometric capabilities out there
5: yeah i mean so uh the the uh unintended consequences obviously are uh where the use of this biometric data we i think would all agree is a net good use for consumers in society which is to verify make consumers more and their data less valuable to uh to hackers and ultimately reduce the harm that accrues because of uh of fraud and identity theft. uh at the same time like i i see that benefit very clearly but recognize that if this uh this tool, this biometrics, and the data that on which it relies, these biometrics, are misused. But there are also potential costs, uh, and those costs can fall particularly uh, uh, hard on uh, individuals who are uh, least least um, least prepared to address that harm. Uh, thinking of uh, you know marginalized populations, uh, uh, you know, communities of color. Disabled Americans, um, for whom biometrics uh, has rightfully uh, raised some suspicion, um, they recognize that there is the a history of biometric and biometric-type data being used to exclude and, uh, and and marginalize them. So,
3: oh, sorry, it's not. On. How's that? Better. Good.
5: No.
0: Yes. Now, good.
5: Okay, Um, so uh, for those in the back who couldn't hear me uh, tldr version is biometric verification good lots of promise also the tool can be used for bad, uh, and I think we need to be very careful about how it's uh, how it's deployed, um, because the potential downside is real and is there, Um, but uh, it's it's certainly one I think we i'm personally doing a cost benefit analysis as somebody who comes to this debate with sort of an innate skepticism uh, and concern about the use of uh, data like biometrics that is immutable, like I can't change my face. Um, And I'm saying that as somebody from a fairly, you know, from a position of comfort, you know, a white guy fairly well off. Um, So I'm uh, certainly even more concerned for people who don't have the same sort of positions of power and privilege that I do.
1: Thank you very much. You know, I'm going to audible out of this one just for a second and see if I can drill into this a little bit more. Um, This I'd I'd like to ask Stephanie and Arun. You know, what are some of the technical ways that we can mitigate the risks of using biometrics?
2: You want to go first,
3: Steph. Sure. Yeah. So, keeping in mind that these comments are mine and mine alone, right? (laughs) 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 Um, I think number one um, is. Judicious use of biometrics. I don't think biometrics should be a silver bullet solution. It's not. If anything, what you can do is collect a lot more data and make it more put it in more people's databases, and more people's systems, and have it be misused in other ways. I think there should be careful thought about whether biometrics is adding value or not to a particular situation. Um, I think there should be a possibility where people have anonymous relatively anonymous transactions why do we need to get so much data from all people for all things I think the more data we collect the more we put people's data at risk right so so there should be a thought there about what is enough or how do we do do what the different organizations need to do and minimize the risk to, to the users as well because otherwise you end up putting more data at risk when you, you just basically create these honeypots, pots right uh, if you use biometrics to do it well right be very specific about what technologies you use, right? Make sure you're using stuff that's been tested. Look at who's testing them. Figure out if you can if that's actually a trustworthy entity. Um, I think you have to look at things like complementary technologies like liveness and proofing detection, but those have to be tested too. Uh, basically, we need to make sure that more information is available to system owners, to business owners so that they can make informed decisions about whether these technologies add value to their process and actually reduce risk versus compromising individual's data. Um, and what and and part of that also needs to look at more than just dollars and cents. right? It needs to look at how do these things actually work. Um, during the pandemic, things changed. A lot of stuff had to go online. But I don't know that we have a lot of data about a lot of things that we do today and figure out whether or not what, what, what really are the risks. The challenges are that sometimes you are going to have, let's say, minimum thresholds that people will put out and say, above this you're okay just don't use stuff below this Well, the bad actors don't think that way they are financially motivated they are smart they have the resources of very large organizations and they are increasing and improving their attacks all the time cutting it off at the minimum thresholds is not how they're going to work right we always need to be thinking ahead we always need to be thinking what else we can do to cut to to minimize risks Uh, i'm not sure if that's fully answering your question but hopefully stephanie will fill in with the blanks
2: (laughs) yeah yeah great um i think i would add i of course agree with all of that um i would add uh the use case uh for how it's used is very important right because when we just say the word biometrics you know it applies all kinds of use cases right you know from from what we know today on our mobile device but all the way to you know surveillance you know kind of in in um, in states, authoritarian states, and tracking your every movement, right? And so that makes it really complicated for a technology to kind of carry all this baggage, right, you know, of, of the potential use cases. It's a simple tool. It's how it's used that makes all the difference. Um, and so, you know, I've worked with um, the Biometrics Institute um, in terms of kind of uh, explaining how the various use cases um, uh, lay out from one to one to the many different ways one to many can work. Um, so check that out because I think that's helpful. Uh, the National Academy of Sciences and Engineering just re- released a report on facial recognition that delved into some of these, um, you know, very you know important issues as a society. Because I, I agree with with both of you. There are use cases that I find unacceptable so saying just well we're just going to use face recognition right to me you know like boom you, you know things pop in your head you know that are use cases that are you know really truly unacceptable um and so um you know being able to articulate that as the experts in the, the field as to what this um how you're using uh the data i think makes it a big difference and kind of back to your points about your biometric not being secret you know i think you know making that connection and helping others make connection to the fact that liveness that connection between the biological and the digital you know is the key piece that you know you're much more able to do because you have cameras and sensors and you know you know um, accelerometers and interactions, challenge responses that make that stolen biometric data not useful where textual data would be useful.
1: That's great. Thank you very much. Um, You know, so there's the scientific approach to protecting biometric data and by default protecting consumers. And, you know, again, I'm very privileged to support the Identity Theft Resource Center, and they're the the premier consumer identity theft victim advocate out there um facetech is also a proud member of the bic and and fido is doing a lot of excellent work in biometrics as well um and so there's a lot of sort of geeking out about this stuff out there but i'm not sure that everyday people and maybe um uh, Bureaucrats and politicians really understand this stuff, and they may not have time to dive into it like most of us so. John and James i'm really curious to hear how you think if you had two minutes to explain to somebody why biometrics should be used and why they should be feel safe using biometrics, how would you do that. i'll go first, please. Okay. <laughs> um, so uh.
5: Two minutes to explain to a So, um, hypothetically. Hypothetically, right. So, what I would say is uh, I would start off by saying here's the cost of what we're doing now. The cost of what we're doing now is $8.8 uh, 8 billion in fraud loss, just reported losses at the FTC uh, last year. Uh, 1.1 million identity theft reports, 2.4 million fraud reports. That's an increase in losses from 2.6 billion in 2021. So, What we're doing now isn't working, and your constituents, Senator, are getting harmed by this Um, biometrics uh, has the potential to affect those numbers. Uh, And it's not a silver bullet. It's not going to stop everyone. And and like you said, it may not be uh, useful in every context, but it is something different than what we're doing now, and uh, I think you should uh, get behind it. Um, that said, uh, I would say that this is still a technology that uh, we shouldn't just give carte blanche to to uh, be used willy nilly across uh, across the economy um, uh, data retention, for example, it's a big one that I would I would say we need to have safeguards in place, um, make sure that if I am providing biometric data uh, in order to verify who I am that that data uh, ideally in my uh, I, in my world would not be retained uh, and be securely deleted uh, as quickly as possible. That data would be encrypted. Uh, Importantly, uh, I should only, uh, that data should be used in a consent based framework, which is weird coming from a privacy advocate who thinks that notice consent is a terrible model that's broken forever. Mm -hmm. When it comes to biometrics, uh, I think that a consent based model is still one that we should embrace. Um, That said, consent should be freely given um, I don't know that it should be I worry about instances where a biometric uh, uh, a biometric verification request is presented as an either or you either provide this verification or you can't use the product that doesn't seem to me to be very fair to consumers So I think that uh, TLDR version uh, biometrics are better than what we're doing now. there's a promise of helping a lot of consumers and reducing the risk but it needs adequate safeguards that's
4: great James you have anything to add to that um I I agree with, with, with all of that um I, I I guess I would raise maybe a, a one other it's kind of a broad issue and that is we do have to make room for verifying people who don't have the tools that will be necessary for biometrics not everybody's going to walk around with a smartphone in their pocket absolutely um, not everybody has high-speed internet not everybody has a camera on if they do have high speed internet there there are we have to make uh, a, a a an equally robust equally as accurate but second path to verifying identities so we don't leave a significant part of the population behind you know the tools will get better over time the accuracy will get better the security will get better the tools will get better over time because that's just the nature of technology But as that happens, we run the real risk of leaving a chunk of people behind. They can't catch up to where we are today. They have no prayer of getting to where we're going. So we've got to, we have to do that. And the other thing I would emphasize that it, and it can't, there are, this is part of a system. It is not a standalone, it's not a silver bullet. There is never any one thing that can be done or any one thing that causes something and in this particular case there's a lot that needs to go around it starting with data minimization if you don't need it don't collect it if you do need it as soon as you're through with it get rid of it if you have to keep it for a regulatory or compliance purpose make sure it's encrypted and it's stored securely if we practice good data minimization that in and of itself makes a lot of other issues go away and then you add these other tools on top of it and you begin to build an identity verification process and institutionalize in everyone, whether it's the digital path or the analog path, everyone has a better understanding of what's at stake and what they gain by participating. That's great, thank you
1: very much. You know, uh, I was on a group of uh, folks who wrote in Canada, there's a digital identity framework called DIAC and they've been a leading they've been a leader in trying to structure a safe and uh and 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 efficient identity framework for consumer use in canada and we wrote the best practices you know we had some recommendations for best practices for governments and for consumers and for corporate stakeholders and you know what i'm hearing from the panel right now is starting to sound like best practices right at facetech we have a series of best practices we ask our partners to um, adhere to them sometimes they do and sometimes they don't you know but if we were going to talk about best practices for biometric vendors where would you begin arun (laughs)
3: uh yeah so um i really like what james just said like uh, start with data minimization uh think about the use case find a technology or set of technologies that support the use case um, not only in terms of like it's a natural fit for the process but also easy for people who are not experts in technology to understand how to use Um, usability is a you know i think sometimes when we look at some of these uh, i look at organizations and, and they they put out these numbers about how much fraud they prevented and i wonder how much of that is actually a legitimate user who just wasn't able to complete a process I know that that's personally happened to me, and I know this technology better than oh, the vast majority of people, but it still felt for me right usability and accessibility are really important uh, have procedures in place to handle people who are going to have difficulty um, for for onboarding or for verification, whatever that might start to look like um, when you do do your biometrics uh, select your biometric technology. Look at stuff that's been tested tested well that has a proven track record. <laughs> Um, And and ideally, where you have some sort of independent objective data to help you figure out like do I think that this is working well, obviously nothing's going to be perfect it's really about finding. technologies that work and then layering it within secure processes elsewhere right, this is always a layered process, and this is one of many layers the nice benefit here is this is again I what I like is this ties it back to a real human being somewhere. Um, If you do, and and I think you do need to really look at uh, doing facial recognition or biometrics along with things like presentation attack detection or likeness, making sure that that's actually like a real human being or of a human being through the sensors on the device or other things that might happen right and this could be as simple as you know, like when you do uh, you know face ID on your smartphone like they're looking for things there so that if I just took a photo of me on the wall and and try to try to open my phone it's not going to work right there are things in play not all of them are perfect in fact probably none of them are perfect but it's about closing that risk making it more challenging for bad actors and then honestly keeping on top of it so that as new technology comes out that's better and better look at refreshing your technology stack so that it can be more effective sorry
1: that's great i just have one follow-on question you know as, as someone who knows more about this than the vast majority of people were you saying that as a dhs person
3: or a advisor to the <laughs> itrc i is a is a private citizen know a lot about biometrics <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that's great how about best practices stephanie what do you think
2: i was just yeah i was just going to add um since Fido alliance is one of the the sponsors here to just give a plug for some of the work that's going on there and and you're going to hear a whole Um, talk on it, but, you know, this is biometrics based on open specifications that are developed by experts around the world. So the FIDO protocol for authentication, the certification program, same thing, grounded in ISO standards and testing and um, requirements set out um, by by the experts um, in both uh, industry, government, and academia. Um, The Biometrics Institute has a good practice framework, which has a set of Hundreds, I know, of questions. I forget how many um, that really lay out the questions you should be asking as an organization. You know, along the kinds of things related to data minimization. You know, getting consent, um, and um, you know, what's your accommodations and your secondary processes, et cetera, et cetera. So there are a lot of resources out there um, that you can look at. You know, as you're thinking about um, adoption and, and adding biometrics as a layer. Um,
1: that's great so I I have to admit I've watched minority report about 10 times over the course of my life and there's a lot of scary things there you know um John and James you both really have kind of a consumer focus instead of a technical focus if I was a an everyday consumer trying to open a bank account or trying to do something online and I was suddenly presented with the request to submit my face or whatever biometric, what type of disclosures do you think the consumer deserves or should receive before they are asked to move through that process? Well, go ahead. Um,
5: you know, I, I um, should the consumer receive a disclosure? Uh, yes. That disclosure should. Uh, make it very clear that the biometric is being requested, but the consumer has a choice on whether to uh, provide the biometric or to find some other form of verification. Um, now the and I think that, that that is about as much disclosure as uh, your average consumer can probably process and and, and act upon. Right. Uh, telling my eighty three year old father in law that uh, you have a data retention policy in place and that your facial record your facial data will only be used for the purposes provided. above, please click here for a five hundred page legal lease document has that is not intended to provide any value to him or frankly, almost any consumer who would at that point be making a uh, make be making a uh, a decision. Um, what I think uh, would be a better uh, uh, information to provide in a disclosure would be to tell people what their rights are, um, and uh, have a have a link to those to to those rights. Um, that I think is is a better thing to include in a in a disclosure. You know your, your rights under uh, under uh, state and federal law. For example, I think is is a useful thing to know, and it's designed to instill confidence in the consumer who's about to make a decision of whether to provide this information or not. Um, so, I think, you know, we also need to like make sure that those rights actually are in place and that they are as strong as they can be. Um, you know, uh, to to build for a moment on uh, what Stephanie and Arun were saying a moment ago about best practices. Uh, one of the things I worry about. Um, Is that you know, having these best practices in place is is really important, and we will have lots of companies, including many of those represented in this room, who will be eager to embrace them uh, because they're the right thing to do. Uh, But I worry that as good companies start to embrace this in a way that in biometric verification in a way that's secure, you will end up with this with the uh, with the, the bad guys sort of starting to you're squeezing the balloon in one place they go to the long tail. You'll have this long tail of people who are have all this data that's value, still valuable, who will start getting uh, targeted more by the bad guys. So I think as part of our plan for how we develop uh, a strategy for rolling out biometric uh, 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 validation uh, and devaluing the value of that stolen data, um, I think we need to think too about how do we make sure that that long tail doesn't get left behind because consumers are still gonna rely on companies that uh that that are in that that sort of less safe area um so don't forget about them too
1: maybe a, maybe a best practice would be to ensure that you provide an alternative uh verification or, or authentication strategy or or option for people that can't or won't participate in biometrics yeah, you know? yeah. how about you James what do you
4: think about best practices yeah um i'll I'll put on my my hat as a person who has owned every single apple product they've ever made even the MacTube? yes i had two C working for it not only did i have a newton i had a newton too nice. with a pcmcia card in it that you Ooh. with a modem that you could connect to absolutely nothing but i had
5: it he's still my beating heart yeah
4: just <laughs> You know, this is this is a, a general critique of a lot of things that we do involving technology, period, not just what would be going forward here. And that is we don't explain the why. We don't give consumers a basis for why we're doing this in a language they can understand. And I think the key to making people feel comfortable and confident is to explain to them in terms they can understand here's why we're doing this. Here's how it's going to make you more secure, and here's the benefits you're going to get from that. If we start there, respecting their intelligence, respecting what they're trying to get done, and talk to them in a way that reflects that, we're going to have a lot more people who will go, hmm, okay, I see that, I'll do that, I'll do that. That is what is missing in so many of these kinds of conversations, not just about biometrics but about the role of technology and the data and data collection period is we don't ever explain the why If we start with that. A lot of the other issues we deal with will go away
1: right? oh that's fantastic thanks, so I think we have a minute or two left. Um, I ask a lot of questions, but I wonder if anybody in the audience has any questions.
4: Hi, I'm Ross Ford and I want to ask a question to anybody on the panel can take it about uh, data minimization right if we do this, the way we've been doing with every.com taking my biometric information James do you think that will have good results. John don't you want to answer that first. Uh. um. um you know uh, it, it's going to require a different framework there's no question about that it's going to require a different framework it's going to have to require a different set of I don't know if beliefs is the right term but you're going to uh, certainly a different level of respect for the data than what we see today because i can't change my biometric and now today there's no real way that you can adopt that in in practical terms you can't you can't make my face, I can assure you you wouldn't want to. Um, but it's still reduced to a series of ones and zeros. It's all every Your DNA is reduced to a code. Um, we've got to have a different level of understanding of what happens if that is compromised in some way. And and oh, sir. Nope, that way. Okay. Um, so I think we've got to build that in to the at the foundation level, because look, the, the systems that exist today are the early systems. We still have time to build in a very robust uh, respect level.
2: Can I just add to that um, that I think this is where you were going with it, the the solution doesn't necessarily have to be that every single company now also needs to hold your biometric data, right? Right. And so there are ways to put, I mean, FIDO protocol is a perfect example of that. You're proving yourself to your device, and then the device through cryptography does the back end work instead of passwords. Um and so now that doesn't work as well for the remote identity proofing, but there are, you know, with what's going on with the mobile driver's license that we heard initially and the passport ecosystems, these things are changing and they're changing very rapidly. Um and and I, I think it's it's a great time to to sort of move away from that model that every single organization has to hold all the pieces of information and make them a big honeypot and yep. you know put you out of a job hopefully
4: <laughs> I would
1: love that <laughs> it's uh I see Teresa uh oh we have one more in the back okay
2: sorry um Judith Hallstein so you had talked about the biometrics and the hacking and the other thing is a now that we're going more often biometrics and more of the live and taking different snapshots what about companies like clear others when they get hacked and then your biometric are stolen and in the live all those little other ticks that are needed are also then hacked and then we're back to even less than square one that's putting on my doomsday hat because they will be hacked everyone will be hacked
3: I don't know if I can comment on clear perfect. <laughs> All
2: yeah. right. I'll, I'll <laughs> <head>. <laughs> I, I, I think that you know I we do some work with deep fake technology, you know, and I think there's a certain sort of sense that that that's kind of now the new zero day for biometrics that that deep fakes can simulate completely your corporal, you know, selves right and but I think we're really a very long way from that. Uh, uh, piece because ultimately those fakes are a digital representation and they they may look good from a you know uh, i i can't tell whether that's obama speaking or whether that's a deepfake, fake but from a biometric system they don't look a good at all right you know because it's shown on a screen right you know or it's digitally injected and it lacks you know the the information that Can be randomly injected you know in a real session so so i i i don't i don't see that as a huge threat in the near future but we need to be aware and be building in you know the extra protections so not all systems are equal and are able to handle that um uh those considerations
3: we we are basically out of time but rune is raising his finger i just wanted to close that so i'll keep my comments kind of limited but um I it it worries me Uh, it it does right so and I think it's important where this is where some of the things like thing like presentation attack detection like having good means in place to try to make sure that this is really that individual versus just re-recorded you know face photo fingerprints iris images that were collected before and you're getting like a replay attack. Um, I also think you know there was a discussion about a different framework I know that when you put in like if I were to take it you know Stephanie's information type it in apply for something abuse it try to steal money sometimes the burden of responsibility falls on Stephanie to prove who she was or that it wasn't her I think for some of these things we may have to rethink that balance where the company has to say like hey I use this liveness proofing technology so that's why I think it's you Um, and 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 it should and, and the burden may have to shift or we may have to rethink this balance about who's responsible for what when fraud does occur because you're right fraud will occur
1: well, that's about
3: it. Uh, can we have a strong
1: round of applause for the panel? Thank you very much, everybody.
0: If you want to speak with an expert ITRC advisor about your identity issues, we're available on the phone. You can chat live on the web or send us an email during our normal business hours. Just visit idtheftcenter.org to get started. Join us next week for our sister podcast, The Weekly Breach Breakdown. Until then, thanks for listening.